Hello and welcome back to EdChoice Chats. I'm your host, Jason Bedrick, Director of Policy at EdChoice, and this is another edition of our Big Ideas series. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Lance Azumi, the Senior Director of the Center for Education at the Pacific Research Institute. He is the author of a recent book titled, A Kite in a Hurricane No More, The Journey of One Young Woman Who Overcame Learning Disabilities Through Science and Educational Choice, which is the subject of today's conversation. Lance, welcome back to the podcast. It's so great to be back on the show with you, Jason. Thank you so much for having me on again. Our pleasure. This is a very interesting book. I guess I should start with this question. Who is Mia, and why do you think it's so important that people working in education and education policy hear about her story? Well, Mia is an incredible young woman. She lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, she grew up with severe learning disabilities. And, you know, many children across this country have severe learning disabilities. Unfortunately, in many cases, they don't get the types of services and the types of remedial help that they need in order to improve themselves. And they end up having to be in a one-size-fits-all type of environment, either in a regular classroom or even with the services that they do get. It's usually a one-size-fits-all that doesn't really meet their specific individual needs. And what's interesting about Mia is that She had these severe learning disabilities that really stem from brain issues that she had, brain weaknesses, if you may say so. So therefore, you know, she couldn't read, she couldn't write, she couldn't really do math. She had a terrible study, so she couldn't speak well. So she had all these different problems, and uh, she was not having success in uh, conventional schools, both public and private. And so her mother decided to homeschool her, took her out, and it was through homeschooling that she was able to finally get the type of individual services that she needed through an innovative Canadian program that was not available in any of the conventional schools that was able to meet her needs. So this book is the story about Mia and her journey through life, the challenges she faced, you know, how educational choice and all its various manifestations came together to help her to overcome the challenges she faced. And it then tells a bigger story, really, of why we need this type of choice available, not just for Mia as an individual, but for all children in America. It's a very interesting book. I've never seen a book that's written quite in this style, where, as you noted in the beginning, there are three different threads that sort of run throughout. You've got several chapters that are actually written by Mia herself. So from the outset, if somebody else were telling the story, you might not know how it's going to end. The way she is writing so beautifully and poignantly about her own struggles, you can tell, okay, well, there's success at the end. I don't know how she gets there, but there's success at the end. But along the way, you've got two other different types of chapters. You've got some chapters that are about the brain science, and then some chapters that are about the lessons for education policy. And then they sort of all come together, especially uh, toward the end. Before we get into the brain science and education policy, let's, let's go back to Mia. Is her experience typical for children who have special needs? Well, you know, it's hard to say that, you know, that uh, somebody is typical because in special needs, it's such a broad category. You have, you know, people who have all kinds of different special needs, you know, like people on the autism spectrum, people who may have uh, attention deficit disorder, those sorts of things. Mia's problems, I think, however, are indicative of certainly a number or range of people who are out there that have problems based upon the fact that they have had brain issues. 
And this all, you know, uh, and we can go get into the brain science in a bit, but, you know, her problems stem from the fact that there were parts of her brain that were weaker than other parts. And those weaknesses stem from sleep apnea, a health condition that she had when she was a very young child. Many people who have heard of sleep apnea who know that, you know, you may stop breathing while you're sleeping. And so therefore, for a brief time, you may not have oxygen going to your brain because you stop breathing. What people don't realize is that, especially for younger children, that sleep apnea can result in brain damage. And so because of the sleep apnea that Mia had, she sustained some brain damage, which then affected her learning in very substantial ways. And so the fact that Mia has this brain damage and the fact that there are so many kids out there who, unbeknownst to them, also have brain issues from various reasons, not just sleep apnea, but for various reasons, they have brain issues. That's why this uh, innovative program that I talk about in this book that came from Canada called the Aerosmith program, which addresses these brain weaknesses, has wide applicability, not just for somebody like Mia, but for many kids, not just in the United States, but across the world. Uh, you, You see this Aerosmith program, which was developed in Canada, but Now in places like the United States, Switzerland, Thailand, Malaysia, all sorts of countries, and uh, which shows that there are kids who suffer from these brain-related issues that can be helped by this type of program. I guess I should rephrase my question. Is it right? Typical is not the right word. And obviously, you know, different students, different special needs, different schools, they're going to have different experiences. What I'm trying to get at is this. Mia really struggled in school. And I would say the school also, and schools, plural, really struggled to help Mia. Sometimes they did a better job than other times. Very often you had teachers who loved her and loved their job and were really doing the best that they could for her, but still were not successful. And so it took several different tries and, you know, experimenting with different programs, like you mentioned, the Aerosmith program developed by Barbara Aerosmith Young until they found something that worked for her. So this could be just the story of, well, you know, most kids who have special needs are served very well by the school they're assigned to. And then every now and then you've got this rare exception and that's the Mia. So is Mia the rare exception or is it the case that there are a lot of students with special needs who just don't find that they're the right fit at their local assigned school? No, actually, I think there are a lot of kids out there uh, like Mia, even people who may not have the exact same problems that Mia had, but there are a lot of kids out there who have special needs, but who are not served by the one-size-fits-all type of special education services offered by regular conventional schools in the public schools or even in the private schools. And, uh, you know, one of the problems I think that you see, and I talk about this in the book, is that so many of the types of strategies that are used in conventional schools, these one-size-fits-all strategies, you know, rely upon what's called compensating strategies, where, you know, okay, you have a weakness, but in order to compensate for that weakness, you try to make whatever you're strong at, you know, compensate for that weak part. So, you know, if you may have a problem, let's say, understanding what people are saying, an auditory problem, maybe you might try and read somebody's lips because that compensating strategy to overcome your auditory problems. Well, it might do that, but on the other hand, it never gets to the real problem that you're suffering from, is the fact that whatever you hear is not processing in your brain. 
And so you don't end up at the end of all of this as a whole person. You end up with a, a person who has weaknesses, but has just compensated in some way to address those weaknesses. And I think that what happens with a lot of kids like Mia and others is that they still don't feel like they're a whole person like all their other classmates. And because they're having to do things much differently in order to somehow get by. And that separates them from all the, their other classmates and they know they're different. And so one of the great things about this Aerosmith program is because it focuses on strengthening the weak parts of your brain to be as strong as the rest of your brain, you end up with a strong whole and therefore the, what you see in Mia at the end of her journey is that she is just as capable, smart, and has this, the same ability to succeed in life as any classmate that she ever had in any of her conventional schools. And so that is a very different type of person that you'll see at the end of that journey than somebody who had gone through compensating strategies. Mia describes how, you know, at one point, I think it was when she was in maybe second grade, you know, she would be very confused by some things that the teacher was teaching. Other kids were picking it up right away. She would ask a question, the teacher would give a response. She didn't understand. She would ask the question again, and the teacher would sort of sigh and just repeat the exact same response, which didn't work the first time. Mia would ask again, and then the whole class would groan, right? Everybody else, oh, Mia is slowing us down. Oh, you know, Mia doesn't understand. And of course, that was incredibly embarrassing for her. It was very frustrating for her. Why is it that when there are these very successful programs like Aerosmith, there are still schools that don't follow those guidelines, that aren't implementing these programs that have proven their success. There seems to be some sort of a disconnect between the brain science and the schools. No, there absolutely is a disconnect, Jason. And that's one of the very sad things about public school system and you know the impact that deficiency defect has on kids. One of the people that I interviewed for this book is a woman named Claire Goss, and she's a longtime education psychologist, worked for a school district in the San Francisco area for many, many years. And uh, I asked her about this very question, is that why is it that when you have a very effective science-based program, like the Aerosmith program, that has been shown to be effective in not just kids like Mia, but you know, in studies conducted by universities you know, around the world, why is it that this type of program is not being used more widely in the United States? And she says that, well, you know, the reason has nothing really to do with the fact that it's successful and that's effective. It really has to do with the fact that not only do we have this one size fits all system in place right now that uses these compensating strategies, but all of the scaffolding for that one size fits all is in place as well. So you have the training for the teachers, all geared to that one size fits all. You have the funding for the program for this one size fits all, all coming in to only fund that type of program. And so you don't have the ability, you don't have the door that you can open to introduce a successful program like the Aerosmith program, despite the fact that you have incredible success stories like Mia, because the machinery of the public education system has been erected so that it only supports a single paradigm and all others, regardless of their successfulness, are not permitted, which is why we need school choice. Because if you have a program like 
Aerosmith was successful for Mia and so many kids like her, you know, you have to have that ability to be able to access that type of program. And it's only through choice. And in the case of Mia, it was through homeschooling and her parents being able to access this program while she was homeschooled. So should parents of students with special needs who aren't getting their needs met in a public school just give up and search elsewhere? Or I mean, is there is there something that they can do to change the public school system? Well, you know, I think, you know, certainly like any problem with the public school systems, I mean, I think it's important for parents who want to advocate for a change, they should. I mean, we should try as best as we can. I mean, you and I, Jason, have had done that as well, right? To, to try and advocate for change within the public school system when you know we see defects, which are many uh, in, in that system. But the other thing though, is that I think that what uh, parents should do is that they should realize that the odds of the public school system changing in a very fundamental way to allow in a program, let's say as such as the Aerosmith program, and make that a part of the public school system is going to be pretty low, you know, uh, because of the fact, as I mentioned, all the machinery around the current one size fits all paradigm is in place right now. And so it's very difficult to change all of that. I mean, how are you going to change all the training that uh, in the teacher credentialing colleges and, and professional development courses, et cetera. And so what I think would be more effective for parents is really to try and advocate for school choice options. One of the things that I talk about in the concluding chapter of the book is that you look around the country to see where are schools that offer the Aerosmith program really located. And they're located in places like Florida, which have a very robust school choice system where they have things like the Gardner Scholarship Program, which parents can use to pay for therapies and special needs services for their children. So therefore, what you've seen is private schools in the state of Florida which accept Gardner Scholarship, they have actually implemented the Aerosmith program within their school agenda. And so therefore, parents who of these special needs kids in places like Florida can access that. I think what's sad is that in California, where Mia and her mom used the Aerosmith program, that the one small learning center that offered the Aerosmith program is now closed. So you actually cannot get the Aerosmith program in California, even though I wrote this book about a student who actually you know, used it in California for a time because there's no center or school that does offer it right now. And it's because of the unfortunate incentives that have been created in the system. Hey, you actually, you cite uh, Aliza Shapiro, who was writing for Politico. I think she also writes for the New York Times about this uh, New York City autism school. It was a charter school. And she said, quote, it could only exist as a charter outside of the bureaucratic strictures of traditional public schools where teachers are free to adapt to a child's specific needs in real time. So to expect, I think, I mean, you hear this a lot, well, you know, just, just fix the system you're in. Well, for many of these parents, I mean, they don't have the power and their kids don't have the time, right? They only have third grade once, hopefully, and they can't expect to change the trajectory of the Titanic with a rudder that is meant for, you know, a fishing ship. This is just, it's, parents can't be expected to do that. So, you know, it's one thing to say that education reformers should do what they can to improve every system, public, private, charter, et cetera. Um, but in the meantime, 
these kids often need an escape hatch. They need something fast. Uh, and the charters and the privates are much more nimble and much more responsive to parents' needs. Although, as you point out, that doesn't mean that they're a panacea either. Even the, among the charters and the private schools, not every school is going to be the right fit. We saw that in Mia's case. She had to try a few different programs. Turns out there were no charter or private schools that really met her needs, and she had to turn to homeschooling, which is why it's so important that you have got the Gardner program, which is an education savings account in Florida, similar to what we have here in Arizona. And now, after this incredible year, we've got 10 different states that have uh, education savings accounts programs that really empower parents to truly customize their child's education. Let's talk a little bit more about the Gardner program in Florida. Uh, have you seen an increase in the number of options that are available for families of, of children with special needs since the introduction of the program? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, one of the things that you see is that, you know, the increase in the number of people who are accessing the programs. I, th I believe that uh, Governor DeSantis has actually increased the sizes of, of the program. And so you have more people who are accessing it in Florida. I think that the, one of the things that makes the Gardner program such an attractive program is the fact that it does address special needs kids. And so when you're making the case for broader school choice, I mean, certainly the, 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 the kids who um, you want to uh, have, it, at least in my, my view, I mean, should be universal, right? We should have you know, as many options for all kids as possible. But it, you know, when you're trying to make that case to a skeptical public or lawmakers, it's often easy to point to certain student populations that really do need something. And as you said, need it fast. They need that escape hatch really fast, or else they're going to truly, truly suffer. And certainly special needs kids are that type of population. And I think it is easier, therefore, to make the case for school choice when you're using, as an example, special needs kids, because you, know, you, you just look at Mia's story and the fact that she you know, had so many problems that she had to deal with and that the trajectory of her life was going to be so horrific, really. You know, I mean, can you imagine growing up as a person to become an adult who, you know, cannot read, cannot do math, cannot really speak uh, very well? What kind of life does that person go uh, going to have, you know, in the future? And so I think that when you look at kids like Mia, you look at the kids at that New York City Autism Charter School that you referenced that I mentioned in my book. When you think about who started that school, it was two parents who looked around all through New York. And if you think about any place that should have, uh, you know, great services uh, within the public system that would meet the needs of, you know, the a broad range of kids, you'd think it would be New York City. But yet, in New York City, those two parents couldn't find a public school that would meet the needs of their autistic kids. And so therefore, they were able to use the charter law in order to start the New York City Autism Charter School. And it's become so popular that they've started you know, another campus uh, in New York City. When I was reading about that, I was thinking about uh, here in Phoenix, there is a school for children who are blind uh, uh, called the Foundation for Blind Children. It was founded by Mark Ashton, who had a son who was blind and didn't like the options that were available. There was a state-run school down in Tucson that does not have a great rate of success in terms of placing children into colleges and jobs. And so he started a school 
they actually, uh, they, they spend much less per pupil than the state school does, but they have incredible success rate. Every child, and again, these are all children who are blind, before they graduate, they climb a mountain just to show, you know, they really can't accomplish anything. I don't know if you know this, but there was a study that was just recently released by my colleague, Marty Lucan here at EdChoice and uh, Michelle Lofton on the Gardner program. One of the interesting things that they found was that the longer the student remained in the program, the more they were using the ESA funds to customize their education. In other words, the percentage of the funds dedicated to private school tuition decreased over time and the amount that were spent on all these other sorts of things, tutoring, textbooks, online curriculum, special needs therapy, all that increased. And of course, it was also a much higher level of customization in rural areas than in urban areas. So we are seeing that these programs, you know, as people get used to them and they're familiar, get more familiar with them, they start to experiment more. They start to branch out. They hear things that something's working for somebody else. They start moving over there. What lessons do you think policymakers should take from your book, from Mia's story, but also from the brain science and, and the sections on education policy? What are the top line results here that policymakers should take away? No, I think that one of the things, and, and you, you mentioned it uh, you know, with regard to Ed Choice's new study about the Gardner Scholarship, is the fact that parents are very good at customizing their education for their kids because they're the ones who know their kids the most. And I think what you find is that, and the reason why you see over time, greater customization of learning services for people's children, the longer they're in the Gardner program, for example, is because people begin to understand what it is that their kids respond to well. And so at first, when parents you know, may use a Gardner scholarship, they basically just want to do the same thing, only in a different setting. So they want to have regular school only run by private people, right? So you go to a private school. But then once they find out what starts working with their kid, and they have their more control over the funding, that they then start to realize, hey, you know, actually, I think that this would work better for my child. And uh, maybe I need to add this in or change this within their learning program. And I think that's the uh, thing that you see in homeschooling, especially, is that homeschoolers at first, many of them basically want to do public school at home, you know, to start off with, because that's what they're familiar with. And it's only after a while when they're doing trial and error that they find, hey, you know, actually that doesn't work as well. I need to try and use this curriculum or this different type of method, this type of pedagogy, and these work better for my child. And I think that that's why... You see in Mia's case, how fortunate they were to find this Aerosmith program. Because again, not only is it not available in uh, any conventional school, public or private, that they were able to then use it, customize it to Mia's own needs. I mean, she had an agenda where she would do Aerosmith half the day, then do her, con uh, her regular course studies the other half of the day. And that worked for her. And so they were able to combine that so that she would be able to prosper academically. And, you know, I think, uh, let me just say one uh, thing about the brain science, you know, and why it's so important is that we understand this is that, you know, it, the brain is ever-changing. It's this neuroplasticity where the brain is not a static organ. It keeps changing. And so what this 
Aerosmith program shows is that by doing certain exercises, you can change certain parts of the brain. Mia, you know, for example, to be able to better write, she couldn't write letters. So she had to do tracing exercises in order to be able to have better executive functions. She had to do these clock exercises where she had to read hands on a clock, not just a two-handed clock, but a 10-handed clock that would go from seconds up to centuries. And so, you know, these types of innovative programs, which are available and which parents can use to customize their education to their child are so important for parents to have this wide, broad choice. And if my recommendation to policymakers is to understand that what the end goal should be to allow parents to have this very customized education that fits the needs of their individual child. And so how are we going to do that? And uh, I think that policymakers should have that as their goal is that we should always be trying to figure out how are we going to allow parents that opportunity to make those customizing decisions to better improve the learning for my individual child. Well, if the human brain can change and improve and use its strong areas to compensate for its weak areas, maybe we can see the, the education system that we have do the same. Lance, thank you so much for joining. Again, our guest today has been Dr. Lance Azumi. He's the Senior Director for the Center of Education at the Pacific Research Institute. His book is titled, A Kite in a Hurricane No More, The Journey of One Young Woman Who Overcame Learning Disabilities Through Science and Educational Choice. Lance, thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much, Jason. And on behalf of my co-author, Mia Giordano, whose story was told in this book, I want to say thank you as well. This has been another edition of EdChoice Chats. If you have any ideas for authors you'd like us to interview for the Big Ideas series, please send them to media at edchoice.org and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on social media at edchoice and don't forget to sign up for our emails on our website, edchoice.org. Thank you. We'll catch you next time.